Thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. I'm Steve Ryder, and I just want to thank South Africa Link, Cozy 200, and Amy Schuber for giving us reviews on iTunes. Thank you, and thank you to everyone else that has reviewed us on iTunes, shared the show on social media, basically everyone that's helped us get the word out about this show. Thanks. And so over that period of time, uh, that 16 years, it, uh, you know, being the number one in our industry, for me, it led to a lot of arrogance and, and pride. And, and as, as you know, some of my story, it led to a lot of sexual sin and things that I said I would never do, uh, you know, I actually ended up doing. I'm wondering how many people out there in our listening audience, maybe not to that extent where they have sexual sin in their lives, but there's something that's blocking their relationship with God and they know that it's there. This is an interview that you are not going to want to miss. I'm here with John Ramstead and John, uh, this is an interview that you did with Ford Taylor just recently and Ford really opened up about his life, his success, as well as his failings. And I think that's something that's going to really resonate with our listeners. Yeah, Steve. Ford is an incredible businessman. He's a leader. I met Ford through Pinnacle Forum. Ford was the CEO of Brazos Sportswear, which people are probably familiar with the brand Nautilus, which this company purchased. But they grew that to a $300 million company, 5,000 employees. And today, Ford is the head of the FSH group, which is comprised of transformational leadership training, the strategy consulting that he now does, and his charitable FSH foundation. Now, John, what are a couple takeaways that listeners will be able to stay tuned for? Well, first of all, Steve, Ford has had an incredible business career, but he really opens up. And one of the key takeaways is when you're running a very successful company and your life is just going Mach 2 and your hair's on fire and... Uh, you're getting all the accolades from everywhere in the world. Uh, there's going to be incredible temptation in your life. Ford shares about a time where he succumbed to that temptation and how he got through that back to a place of healthy relationships and grace and success in his life. And I know whether that impacts you directly, you're going to, if not, you're going to know people that that affects directly. And this is going to help you have a very meaningful and productive conversation. And more importantly, I think he really deepened his relationship with God in a way that it hadn't been since he first came to faith. And I think listeners are really going to take a lot away from that. I agree. And the second thing you're going to learn is what are the leadership principles and the values in the day-to-day practices that Ford brought in to Brazos Sportswear that took it from a very small company to a $300 million company? The leadership training that Ford is going to share on this episode is some of the best we've had yet. Uh, The Transformational Institute that Ford started, you can also plug in there after the episode and even get deeper understanding and information on these values and principles and how to incorporate them into your life and your company. Without further ado, here is your conversation with Ford Taylor. Well, today we are blessed to spend some time with Ford Taylor. Uh, Ford, I know that you've been a, a partner with Pinnacle Forum. You've been an incredible leader in business and in industry. And what's on your heart right now is an initiative you're doing on transformational leadership. And I heard you speak recently, and it really moved me. And I'd love for you to just take a few minutes and introduce yourself and let our audience get to know you. And then I'd love to get into a little bit more of your story and what you're doing with uh, TL. 
Okay, well, thank you, John. And, and John, thank you personally for what you're doing uh, in this podcast. And not just that, but how you're touching lives of individuals that are touching more lives of individuals. I mean, if anybody's out there doing things to create transformational leaders at you and and to be able to put so many people in front of other people to help them, that, that shows where your heart is. And for you to share your mind and your heart the way you do, it's it's an encouragement to me. And I know it's an encouragement to all your listeners. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you for it. I appreciate that. And I think we share the same heart. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, and thank you for having me on the show. And as I told you, uh, my wife would be sitting here. She just came in. So it's always fun to be able to, to speak with her in the room and to do the training with her in the room. So I guess to do an interview with her in the room is also going to be fun. So Excellent. that's good news for me. Uh, but you asked me to share a little bit of my story. Um, I was born and raised in Paris, Texas, uh, then went to school at Texas A&M. I uh, graduated from Texas A&M. That's where I met Sandra. She was a freshman and I was a senior. Uh, I stayed around Texas A&M and worked at a local sporting goods store there. Uh, one of her lifetime dreams was to graduate from Texas A&M. And we got married when she was a junior. Uh, when she graduated in 1982, in May, we started a company, actually bought a company that had one foot in the door of bankruptcy, uh, a little screen printing company that was very, very small. Uh, it's one of those things that as we get a little bit older, and a little bit wiser and have a little bit more information, it's one of those things you say, I never would have bought that if I'd known them what I know now. Uh, but we were fortunate <laughs> and blessed that, you know, it did work out. And uh, over a period of about 16 years, uh, that company grew a lot. We uh, sold a piece of it to some venture capitalists and then stayed and worked there. And then eventually that became the largest company in our industry in America. And uh, eventually they asked me to step in and be the CEO of that company. And it really became a more of an apparel company where we did decorated uh, screen printing and embroidery on all kinds of decorated apparel. And so over that period of time, uh, that 16 years, it, uh, you know, being the number one in our industry, for me, it led to a lot of arrogance and, and pride. And, and as, as you know, some of my story, it led to a lot of sexual sin and things that I said I would never do, uh, you know, I actually ended up doing. Uh, on the bright side of that, uh, God had a different plan. Uh, he pulled me out of that. And during those 16 years, Sandra and I together have had uh, three beautiful daughters, we have a 24-year-old that resides in New York City, a 21-year-old that lives and goes to Butler University in Indianapolis, and a 19-year-old that's a sophomore at Texas A&M. And so we've, uh, we've come out of that dark time, and uh, I do have a bride that does resemble Jesus and is in the way of unconditional love and unconditional forgiveness. And when I shared with her those things I had done, uh, she loved me enough and forgave me and now blessed to have as good a marriage as anybody I know in the universe. In the universe, wow! You know that's very vulnerable of you to just share that, and uh, maybe you could share a little bit more about you know how you got through that. I think there's a lot of people, you know, as you have success in the world, it, it's pretty easy to start giving yourself credit for for those successes, isn't it? Looking in the mirror and saying, you know, wow, I'm I'm a pretty good guy. Yeah, yeah. I tell people if you Google. Um, you know, biblical teachings, uh, spiritual gifts, pastor, CEO, arrogance, and hypocrite. If you'll put that all under one line and you'll punch send, my name will pop up uh, along with my face. So yeah, you can end up in a pretty bad place when you start thinking it's all about you. There's no question about it. Well, 
during those 16 years, Ford, you know, what was, maybe you could share with us, what, what was one of the real low points during that journey? And what allowed you to get out of that and move forward back into the life that you have now with Sandra and, and what you're doing? Well, probably, you know, I was sexually abused by a female school teacher in kindergarten when I was six years old. And I don't think I realized until, you know, for a lot of years, how much that impacted the trajectory of my life. And so by the time I was 15, I was taking antidepressants. I was an obese kid. I had spastic colon, irritable bowel syndrome. And so there was a lot of pain that I had not dealt with that I carried into my marriage. Uh, And my wife, literally, I mean, she had to suffer from some of that pain. Uh, I hadn't been transparent about it. A lot of the things, you know, many times when men are abused by women at a young age, they either become woman haters or woman pleasers. And I clearly became a woman pleaser. And so there was things I would do that, you know, as a Christian that didn't make sense. But but that that was the starting point. And and as much as I fought these temptations for many, many years, when I started traveling, I commuted from College Station, Texas to Cincinnati, Ohio for 23 months. And during that commute, along with all the pain that I had never dealt with, that's really what opened the door for me to step through something that had been available for a long time. You know, when you're the owner or president of a company, there's something, I guess, that's a learning about that, uh, females. I'm not sure, but um, maybe it's because we take care of them, provide a job. I'm not sure what it is, but but while that door had been open, and, and my wife had warned me a number of times about a number of ladies that worked in our company, and, and I always rejected it because I didn't really believe it. But but in that travel, you know, when, when a, a couple of them came on to me, you know, I didn't resist, and, and I fell to that temptation. It was a huge mistake, and, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you say I'll never do something, and then there's that gap between who you put yourself out to be, you know, that face of, of, of who you want people to think you are and who you really are on the inside. Mm-hmm. And once I did it, it was like, okay, well, now I've blown it. I might as well keep doing it, which is not a good thought, but that, that is what happened. And so it drug me into that lifestyle for over four years. Um, and then you, you say, what got you out of it? Well, it's interesting. Uh, during that, I was asked at our church to be the spiritual gifts pastor because the things I did in the workplace lined up with what a spiritual gifts pastor in a church would do, help people with their skills, talents, abilities, and help place them in the right positions. And so I said, yes. So you were being very highly functional at work, being a very effective leader, but you had this, you knew what what else was going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was taking antidepressants. At one point, I was taking antidepressants, um, medication for anxiety, three rosacea medicines every day, spastic colon, irritable bowel syndrome, and allergy medicine almost every day. I mean, so that that was taking place on one end, and on the other end, a highly functioning, you know, in the world's eyes, successful CEO of a company. Uh, so, yeah. You, you, were, uh, you had some massive stress in your life at that point. Oh, unbelievable. Over-the-top stress. And, and again, so then when the, you know, your pastor comes up and says, hey, will you come do for the church what you're doing out there? And then they put in the bulletin that you are the, quote, spiritual gifts pastor, unquote, and you're living that lifestyle. Think about the additional stress in that. But to answer your question about how, how we pulled out of that, 
when I was spiritual gifts pastor, the pastor's wife and I would teach this class on spiritual gifts. Uh, we then put together, which I helped put together, this interview process to ask the people in the class. We would meet with them two on one. And in that meeting, we would ask them all kinds of questions, give them books, tapes, and scriptures to help them figure out what is their spiritual gifts, not just to use in the church, but also to use in their jobs and at home. And and it worked out where almost, well, literally everybody we would interview, as we would pray over them, we would see some kind of miracle. I mean, it would be a healing miracle, a restorative miracle in a marriage, uh, children and parents. I mean, but every single interview was ending up in a miracle. And on the way home from those meetings, I would literally be in the car crying and saying, hey, God, what about me? <laughs> you know, what, why not me if this is happening for everybody else? And, and one day, Dale and Anita Thorne, which was our pastor and his wife, they came to me and said, you know, Ford, you know, you wrote a lot of this stuff. And since you've written it, the three of us have never, you know, we've been teaching the class. Why don't we interview each other? And, and I guess I didn't think through it very clearly on what had happened in all these interviews. And I said, sure, why not? And then in the interview, they were asking me the questions that I had written. And since I knew them all, I was answering before they would finish asking. And one of those questions was, if you could do whatever you wanted to do in life, what would you do? And Anita, little sweet Anita, uh, John, I know you and your listeners, we all know people that when they walk into the room, it just turns sweet. Yeah. And Anita's, yeah, she's one of those people. Okay. And and she's a little bit older, and she was asking that question to me. And in the middle of the question, I cut her off, and I said, hey, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. You know, I'm, be, I'm getting a consulting companies. It's like being the CEO of a lot of different companies at the same time without the responsibility, beautiful wife, spiritual gifts pastor, but you know, on and on, all about me. And then she looked at me, and she said, would you just hush up a minute? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, I want to ask that question a little differently for you. And I said, okay. And she said, if you could do whatever you knew God called you to do, what would you do? And I lost it. I completely cried to the point of dry heaves. Hmm. Uh, we then, they asked me, and I finally said, you know, if I could do what I knew God called me to do, it might be the same kind of thing I'm doing now. But instead of only talking about integrity and character, and I might actually talk about Jesus more. I said, who knows? I might even go to seminary. I said, who knows? I might even preach some. And they kind of chuckled and said, why don't you do that? And I said, well, because God doesn't talk to me anymore. And they said, can we pray? And, and, and to keep from going into too much detail, I'll just tell you that they still tell people the last time I talked to them that after 50-something years of doing ministry in Cyprus, Israel, and Africa, and they're back in Israel now running the house of prayer there, they've never seen the manifest presence of God like we saw in the office that day. And it literally turned my life upside down. And I, uh, when this time in the office passed, I looked at Dale and he said, so God doesn't talk to you anymore. And we kind of chuckled and, and I walked out that day literally and cut off these, this relationship, these relationships, if you will, immediately and walked away from them and knew that what God had called me to do when I was 17 and then again when I was 33, he was now calling me again at 41, and I knew that in that office, I knew that he was clearly saying, I'm not going to ask again. I want to know if you're in or out, and, and, and started moving towards getting my life cleaned up in a way that, well, it was hard for me to believe that God could ever use me now as 
you know, as much of a broken pot as I was, I was at least willing to say whatever it is it is. So it was very clear to you or it just you just felt in your spirit that God said, I've been with you your whole life, but you need to make a choice. And you, and you had to make a choice. Yeah, and, and two other times I had felt like he had asked me to make a choice around very specific call, once when I was 17 and once when I was 33, and both times I talked with my pastor and both times literally told God no. What, what had changed that you're 41? What, what was different this time? Uh, you know, one of the things we teach in transformational leadership training, John, is that is that change seldom occurs until the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of change. And so I think two things had happened. One is I think that had happened in my life. But number two is there's really no way I can explain. You know, you were you shared your story and and, you know, when you when you were hurt and on the ground and and not sure you were going to live. And you have shared that you felt this unbelievable presence of God. And, and you wondered, how can anybody be loved this way? How can this kind of love consume you? And I would say that's the same kind of thing that happened in that office that day. It was like, wow, after all that, you still can care this much about me and about your children. You know, Ford, when I was in God's presence and felt that, that unconditional love, it was like everything in my past, anything I'd ever done right or wrong, you know, to glorify God or sinful, it, it was like it, he didn't, it wasn't even part of the relationship. He didn't even care. All he cared about was me as a person, somebody he loved. It was uh, like a love you have, you know, right now with Sandra, but it, like I have with my wife Donna, but at a level that I can't even express in human words, right? And, That's right. And, and just to share with people that no matter what your background, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, the God of the universe that created everything loves each one of us individually as a person, cares about us. And for me, that was probably one of the most deepest transformational uh, events in my life, to, to just have that awareness, which led to a relationship uh, between me and him that I'd never had before. Uh, that's well said. And, and I would say that happened in that office that day that there, there's no way that I, that I could say it to you. You've experienced it. You understand it, but there is no way to put in words what happened that day to make me immediately say no more. Well, let me ask you a question. The next morning you go home, the next morning you wake up, what 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 happens next? Well, I then started talking to my pastor, and I'm saying, okay, what do I do now? So one thing I had to do was call my business partner and tell him what happened, and that I believed that I was supposed to not stay in business with him, that I had to go pursue what I believe God was now telling me to do. And that was to take everything I had learned in business, church, and you know, I'd been disciple leader in my church when I was 17, uh, we had run our company based on what I would call good integrity, which I now realize were biblical principles, you know, and, and, and I started realizing that we were successful. A lot of the reason we were successful is because we were running our company on kingdom or business principles. 
And so I started trying to figure out, you know, what does that look like? What does it sound like? And I started having feeling like God was asking me two things. One, to call leaders together in the city I lived in, which was Cincinnati, Ohio, and ask them to lay down their own agendas, lay down their denominations, their their racial preferences, all those things, and to come together and work for a greater good. And then as I started doing that, the Lord started showing me, you know, I've actually given you the tools and the ingredients to teach people what that is. And so I went to my pastor and said, hey, all this stuff I've been using in business all these years, by any chance, is it in the Bible? <laughs> and what did he and tell I started you? Taking some, well, he said, I, and he looked at it, he goes, my goodness, Ford, he said, do you have any idea what you have here? And I said, well, would you show me where it is? He goes, no, go find it yourself. And uh, and so I started taking some seminary classes and just saying, okay, God, whatever it is, I'm, I'm in, I'll do it. I knew it wasn't to be a pastor of a local church, but I wasn't sure what it was exactly. I knew it was to call the leaders together, to work together. Uh, then as I started working with other leaders, I, st- I, I, I grabbed some other pastors and I called them in the room. I said, by any chance, this material right here, do you think it's in the Bible? And, and John, it's interesting. They told me it wasn't originally. They said no. Uh, then one of them called me and asked me to meet with me. He said, you know, we've been looking at your stuff and, and we're, I'm here to repent on behalf of all of us because we told you wrong. He said, this may be the most biblical thing we've seen ever as it relates to leadership. But none of them would tell me where it was in the Bible. And so... I just basically started teaching it, reading the Bible more, and started seeing that that God had basically given me an English version, okay, something that people could understand, that put kingdom biblical principles in a language that people could understand. And, And I started realizing, you know, your arrogance starts going away when you start realizing that God's stuff works for everybody, and you just happen to be using it, you know, and you didn't even know it. Uh, you know, you, you can be pretty humbled by, wow, anybody anybody can do this if they're actually using the principles that they can't stop, they can't start, they just are. Well, you know, that's true. God's laws are universal, whether they're success principles or faith or relationship. If you're applying them, right, God created them and, and they work. Yeah, and, and he even says in his own book, they work whether you believe it or not. They work whether you believe Jesus is the Son of God or not. The principles still work. They work for the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. So it's amazing, uh, you know, what we'd been doing and not even realizing we were doing it. Well, could you take some time? I would love for you to share maybe some of the top principles that you were using in your company. Now, your company was, what, $300 million company, thousands of employees, one of the most successful companies in the country in these principles that you'd brought in there that now that you're teaching others, what, what are some of those? Well, some of those principles were around the principles of, of levels, if you will, dynamics of change. Uh, you know, that, that it, you know, one of the things, for example, that we had written on the walls and in, in the warehouses, the production facilities of our company, it said things like this, the top 10 reasons for success. Number one is quality. Number two is service. Number three is continuous improvement. And number four is the other seven don't matter. Okay. <laughs> and, and so as you look at that and you start looking at, you know, you know, how did God lead? I mean, how did Jesus lead? And, and then, and then we, we would do things like, you know, what's the definition of leadership? You know, why is it that our leaders could lead the way they did? And, and while I was arrogant in the one area of my life, 
with my employees, I, I wasn't as much that way and started realizing that if we taught people that their job was to serve their employees, not to lord over them, but to do it with biblical principles, that they would be more successful. Uh, I, I started, you know, almost we've always done discipline, for example. You know, one of the hardest things in, in companies and organizations is how to resolve conflict. Okay. And how to do discipline. You know, how, how do you, and remember, I was a Christian during all that. I mean, it wasn't like, uh, you know, at least I thought I was. I mean, I, I, you know, I was going to church. I was doing all the right things except for that one little piece of privacy in my life that I was holding on to. Everything else, you know, I was trying to do, you know, biblically. But I started realizing, you know, how did Jesus do discipline? Well, he, he used stories and questions. He didn't, he didn't use a hammer. You know, he, he would ask people questions and, and wait on their answer, and they would ask him a question. He would answer a question back, and then he would tell a parable. He would tell a story, and so we put this model together on how to do discipline that included questions and stories, and it ends up, and it literally ended up just like Jesus did. It makes it the employee's choice whether they want to be there or not. In other words, you don't, it's a tool where you never have to keep anybody in your organization, but you never have to fire anybody either. And that's exactly how Jesus did it. He never told anybody, you know, you have to leave based on my choice. He always made them, he made it their choice. And I started realizing, hold it, this is exactly how Jesus did discipline. So how did that work exactly in the, you know, in the marketplace at work, right? These conversations, how did they lead to people selecting whether to stay and be part of the company or or that this wasn't a place for them okay so so let's take two areas okay you know most people in life john are either highly relational or highly transactional i agree with that okay and so and and those two kinds of people usually drive each other crazy (laughs) yes relational ones irritate the transactional the transactional irritate the relational and if you and i were talking to a thousand couples right now and we ask if you're married and and you're highly relational raise your hand and then we say now if you're if your spouse is highly transactional raise your other hand over 90 percent of the people in the room their hands would go up okay so here's a problem not only in the workplace but also in marriages and so once you realize all that, you start realizing that much of the conflict that goes on, much of people's job performance, so conflict's one thing, job performance is something else, but sometimes that performance is based on relational activity, which causes conflict. So once you realize that, if you're going to do a discipline tool, it could be around one of two areas. One is their attitude, which is their relationship, or the other is their actual job performance. Are they able to perform in the role they're in. So this tool works on both ends. So let's just say it's about being at work on time. I mean, let's just take something simple. And, and so the first thing I would do with you if you're late to work every day is I would have a verbal conversation with you. And I would say, hey, what time did you get to work this morning? And you would say, the traffic was bad. Hey, John, what time did you get to work this morning? Well, you know the traffic was bad. What time did you get to work this morning? And you would eventually say 8.30. Well, what time are you supposed to be at work, John? You know, the traffic was bad. What time are you supposed to be at work? Eight o'clock. John, do you realize that for the last 30 days, you've been late 28 times? Well, you know, the traffic's bad between me and my house. John, do you realize that in the last 28 days? So you ask questions, so they answer it. And then John would say, yeah, I, I realize that. You're holding my time clock. Well, John, do you have what you need to be at work on time? 
Are you missing an alarm clock? I mean, here's five bucks, go buy, you know, do you have what you need and do you understand you're supposed to be at work on time? Okay, so the first thing is I would do all that verbally and we would agree that you're going to be at work on time. But if you're not successful, I'm not going to have, I'm going to have that same exact conversation with you, but the next time I'm going to put it in writing and we're both going to sign that we had it. Okay, and then there's going to be another question, how long is it going to take you to be on, at work on time? And then we're going to agree. Hey Ford, how would you apply that to, let's say you're on an executive team as one of the other executives and you have a deep disagreement over an issue at work or uh, amount of risk that the company took on or a strategy and it's really causing challenges and issues uh, between the two of you and affecting the performance of the team. How would you bring it into that environment? Okay, well, there, there's, there's two ways to answer that. Number one, am I the CEO? Am I the boss? Or is this a co-executive? That'd be, let's do it as a co-executive. Okay, so that's a different tool, okay? So the one I just gave you is if I'm the boss, okay? So I had a verbal meeting with you, I had a written meeting, and then if you still weren't successful, we have a second written meeting, and in that second meeting, the last question is, okay, how long is it going to take you? Great. Now, can we agree that if you can't do that, there'll be a consequence this time? Now, by this point, the consequence is you choose whether you want to work here or not, based on whether you can perform. So that's how you do it if you're the boss. So that would work in the executive room or it would work outside the executive room. Okay, but let's talk about it that's not the CEO. You know, it's the two of us and, and we're both senior vice presidents or we're both executive officers, but neither one of us is the boss of the other one. Correct. Okay? So what we do is when we go into organizations, we ask them this question. How do we want to treat each other? And we make a list of what that is. And then we ask a second question. Okay, how are we going to deal with it if we don't treat each other this way? So we're talking about how we're going to treat each other. And people always write down love, respect, honor, you know, all those different words that you would imagine they would write down. And, and 100% of the time they come up with, look, if, if, if we break this agreement, I'm going to come to you one-on-one. -on -one. If that doesn't work, we're going to bring somebody in to help us. And if that doesn't work, we're going to bring it before this team, this executive team, and we're going to present our case, and the team is going to judge. And they're going to make the decision. And if me coming to you, John, saying that was disrespectful, if the team says, no, Ford, we don't agree with you, then I've got to apologize. And if I don't apologize, I'm agreeing in advance I can't be on this team. And if they say, John, you were disrespectful, then you have to apologize. And then if you can't apologize, you've pre-agreed, you're going to leave the team. And so we put all that in place in advance so that when these times come up, because they're going to come up, and it's really not a matter of can we agree on a decision. It's really a matter of how do we treat each other in that decision before, during, and after. Because once the decision's made, if you and I are on the same team, even if I don't agree with it, I guarantee you I'm going to go out and perform toward the decision that was made with the confidence that our executive team will change it if what we move towards doesn't work. So you're really talking about putting an importance really on relationships and having an agreement. You know, this is probably a new concept for some of the companies you work with, right? How we're going to interact, how we're going to value each other as people, not just as employees or coworkers. That's correct. So that's really bringing in the servant leadership, that heart of Christ, in a very active way without using any scripture right into the middle of the workplace. 
That's right. And if you want to apply the scripture, you know, go read Matthew 18. The first thing it says is if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, poke it out. In other words, get your act together first. And then he says if a man had a hundred sheep and one of them wandered off, wouldn't they go bring them back in the herd? But he then says, but if one sins, go to him and tell him one-on-one. That doesn't work. Take a witness or two. If that doesn't work, bring him before the group. Okay? And so there's a biblical precedent that, that's all, that Jesus has given us, and I call this one of the greatest love letters in the Bible. But then Jesus also says next, now listen or hear this. I tell you the truth. He says, for what you bind on earth, you bind in heaven. What you loosen on earth, you loosen in heaven. And I also tell you this. When two or three are in agreement and I'm in your midst, the Heavenly Father will always answer your prayer. See, the problem is we quote those scriptures independently, and he's talking about sin and conflict. He's not talking about a new house or a faster car. Okay, and so what happens is when you have that agreement in place and you walk it out, you actually, by walking it out, you're either loosening respect and love and honor, and if you are, you're binding gossip and bitterness and rejection, or you're loosening gossip, bitterness, hate, and you're binding love, respect, and honor. And so if you walk out that biblical principle, it just works because Jesus put it in place. Well, you know, I've seen companies, you know, that gossip and that bitterness, you know, not resolving conflict well just right. leads to a cancer that can completely destroy a, a, a company with an incredible product or service or, or team, but it, it can just level it. Yeah, you, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that we teach, John, is that great leaders, great people talk about ideas and vision. Average people talk about things. Small people talk about other people. Smaller people let them. Even smaller people join them. And even smaller people tell others. Well, I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, my dad always used to tell me growing up, Ford, that you can always tell the size of a person by the size of the things that upsets them. That's true. Right? So, right. you know, I, I would love for you to share, Ford, you know, what is your definition of leadership? And what have you seen are some of the characteristics and qualities, you know, of leaders that are really, truly effective? Okay. So, so why don't we start off with, what we use as the definition, yeah, and then we'll t- and then we'll talk about what we teach as the purpose, and then we'll talk about the qualities and skills that are needed within that definition and purpose. Is that okay? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, because there's two kinds of leadership. One is what we call command control, and that means all decisions come back up through who's ever at the top of that department, that company, that family, that organization. So first of all, when I talk about leader, I'm talking about just generally speaking, if you have influence with one person, that by definition makes you some kind of leader. And when I talk about organization, I'm talking about any time two or more people are in relationship. So it could be a marriage, a family, a business, a church, a government office, or even a classroom at school. Okay. Okay. So the definition of leadership we use is when is is a good leader a leader is someone who's willing to lay down their life for those with whom they lead or have influence now that doesn't mean they're they die this is much harder than dying <laughs> okay this is they lay their life down to serve those within whom they lead now how do they serve them well that's through the purpose of leadership 
And the purpose of leadership we teach is we call it V, steal, and lead. And the V stands for cast vision. The S is serve. And then it's teach, train, equip, empower, let go, and evaluate. So we're saying the best leaders are those that understand that their purpose is to cast vision, serve, teach, train, equip, empower, let go, and evaluate. And how do they do it? By laying their life down by doing that. Now, what are those characteristics and values? Well, they're humble, they're courageous, they're loving, they're respectful, they're affirming, they're direct, they have no problem dealing with conflict, they have no problem holding people accountable. You know, they understand the concept of if you let people that are throwing hand grenades in the organization stay, then you're affecting, you know, 2,000 employees not just the one, because lots of Christians, you know, they, they got this term called servant leadership, and you got this term called command control, and neither one of those are really that great, because the concepts taught around servant leadership by, are, are mainly theory, and so people just let others walk all over them, because they think that's what Jesus did. Well, Jesus only let people walk all over him for about three or four days. Prior to that, they did not walk all over him. He was very clear. He held them accountable. He told them exactly where they stood, how they could be in the group, what it would take to not be in the group. And, and he was very clear on these issues. But he did it with respect. The best way I put it is he did it with gentleness and kindness, peace, patience, hope, and joy, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, and love. As he walked in humility, meekness, with unconditional forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And when he did that, he received the fullness of God's power his authority, his honor, his glory, and his wealth. And, and I believe that when we do that kind of leadership, that's what we receive. And when we receive God's power, authority, honor, and glory, and wealth, and it comes from God, we no longer have the need of the pride and arrogance that we used to have because we're getting what he designed us to receive. And when most of us don't get that, we try to replace it with the worldly thing that's called pride and arrogance. Well, you know, I think you bring up a really interesting concept, uh, you know, serving people in love. It's almost kind of that concept of meekness, right? But in the marketplace, the marketplace rewards competence and excellence, right? Execution. Yeah. And, and you're talking about how to pull those two together. Uh, could you say just a little bit more about that? Yes. Uh, so, so in English, I'm going to take it out of the scripture just for a minute, Okay. And in English, we call that being relational and transactional. Okay. okay. And so one side is the relationship and the other side is, look, we got to get the stuff done. And we talked earlier how they drive each other crazy. And so what we try to do is give people the tools and the ingredients. We call it making a leadership cake. Okay. The tools and the ingredients for the relational people to become more transactional without giving up their bent of being relational. And then we teach the transactional people how to become more relational without giving up their bent of being transactional. And as they learn to meet in the middle, there's a word we made up and we call it being relational. Okay? <laughs> and so when we start and, and when people, when leaders look at each other and understand that concept, they kind of hit themselves in the forehead and go, no wonder I don't get along with my wife. No wonder I don't get along with my husband. No wonder the VP of operations doesn't get along with the VP of sales. They're completely different. 
And no wonder the VP of finance has trouble with the entrepreneurial CEO. Okay. And once they have their eyes open to that, we can then give them the tools how to fix it. And what do we say being relational is that we can stand on this thick foundation of relationship, knowing that we're going to be way more effective, way more functional and more profitable because we're doing it on the, on the foundation of relationship. And we can look down both ends and the people on the transactional end no longer drive us crazy and the people on the relational end no longer drive us crazy. You, you know, Ford, as you've brought this teaching, right, this definition and, and way of leading into companies and worked with teams that have adopted this, what are, what are the results that you've seen? Well, you know, what we found, John, and this is what's crazy, is that when people are using the fullness of these principles, I mean, all of them, and, and they're really implementing, I mean, we get phone calls and, 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 and I get asked, why does all of your stuff work? All of it. And I'll say, you don't want to know. And this is before we give them what I call the stained glass, before we tell them it's all in the Bible. And, and, I, and I'll say, you don't want to know. They'll say, yes, we do. And I said, promise you don't want to know. I mean, imagine being in a room with executives and them saying, my marriage is better. My relationship with my kids is better. The employees are happy. We're making more money than we've ever made. Our cash flow is good. All this stuff works. Why? You don't want to know. We pay you money. Tell us. You know how fun it is to reach in your in your backpack and pull your Bible out and say, let me tell you why it all works. It all works because I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he came to earth out of heaven, and, and he lived here for 33 years, and he died and he rose again, and he's back in heaven again. I, I believe that from the bottom of my heart. And all this stuff I've taught you, I can also teach you how to find a place of peace that passes understanding and go along with all this good stuff that's happening. And you can enter the kingdom of God today, not when you die, but today. And I can show you how to find peace. In this book that I've been teaching you, but I haven't told you that's where it comes from, it actually says it works for the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. So all these things that you're wondering why they work, why all my stuff works, it works because it's not my stuff. Wow. You know what? By walking out your faith forward and bringing these principles into the marketplace, you, you've truly been able to pull together uh, a term that you don't hear very often. It's full-time ministry and businessmen, right? And you've been able to pull those two together and also just show people how that they can make their career their cause, their company, their mission field. And I, I love how you just shared how you just pulled together the secular and the sacred and you, and you just, in just a, just a beautiful way. You know, John, I, I've had bankers that have told companies, one particular company for sure, if you use Ford and you're not successful, we will close you down in seven weeks. And they came to me, the company did, and said, what do you think we should do? I said, I think you better use their guys because seven weeks from the shape you're in is tough. With me in the room, they picked up the bank and said, sorry, we're using Ford, <laughs> okay? And we went in and put these principles in place. And within a month, the bank was on the phone, ready to close them down. And they asked me to share what we had done. I shared it, and the bank said, hang on, repeated it all back. Well, in seven weeks, they were completely fixed, making more money than it ever made in the history of that company. And the bank asked me this question, and they're not the first bank that ever asked this question. They're just the first one that ever asked it this quickly. They said, okay, you got some secret sauce that other guys don't have. What is it? I mean, they literally said, what is your secret sauce? Because you've got something that our turnaround guys don't have. And, and that secret sauce 
is how to resolve conflict, how to be relational, how to understand that there's four levels of change, and it's knowledge, attitude, behavior, and then organizational. How to understand that when, when you really want to make a change from who you are as a company, a marriage, uh, an individual, to something different, something better, that you gotta go through those, through those levels. And, and to understand that it only takes three to 15% of any organization to totally shift the culture. Three to 15%, that's not that much. And understand that there's so many dynamics taking place in each individual when it's going on. And to understand all that first, so when you go down the path of, of applying the tools and when conflict comes up, you know how to resolve it. Yeah, that is secret sauce. But you know what? It's not a secret. God wrote it down in a book so we could all have it. And you know what, John, the fun part for me is something you just said. Is, you know, at this point, we've trained you know, thousands of pastors in this material, too. And, and early on, I was actually accused of witchcraft, which is okay, but that's all past now. But, you know, one of the things I challenge them with, you know, the word layperson is not in the Bible. You know, that's a word we've made up. You know, and, and so what I tell people, and I want your listeners to hear this, that, that if you are a believer, if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you are a shepherd. If you are a shepherd, that makes you a pastor. Who do you pastor? Whoever you have influence with all day, every day. The only difference is you get your vocational income from a different place than your pastor gets his or hers. They get theirs pastoring a local church. You may get yours pastoring a department. You may get yours being the CEO of a whole company. You know, you get your people for 50, 40, 50, 60 hours a week. The local church pastor only gets them for an hour or an hour and a half. And so I challenge, who has the most influence? Who has the most opportunity to have a kingdom influence, a kingdom impact with biblical kingdom principles on those who either believe or don't believe? And I say it's you. And so I challenge pastors to throw that word layperson in the trash and start training and equipping all of our marketplace people, whether they work in business, government, education, arts, entertainment, whatever it is, media, on a farm, whatever it is, IT, hospital, to start t coaching kids, to start teaching them, be a shepherd, be a pastor, change your mindset, stop closing your worship service in prayer and start launching it in prayer. Start telling people now, go out and live what you learned today. Not let's close this down. You know, start learn that as a leader, you were created to be worship, not to do worship. And that every your emails, your, the way you talk to your employees, the way you talk to your coworkers. What if all that was our worship to God? I got news for you. When it is, we have a different influence, a different impact, and a different ratio of success because those are all kingdom principles. And that's what I think God's just pulling on our hearts to get us to understand. Wow, Ford, what a great way to wrap up. That was that was worth the price of admission right there. That made me a better person just spending this time with you. And I hope, uh, I know everybody who listens will, will feel the same way. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you, uh, see what you're doing, or, or be involved with uh, what you're working on right now? Okay, well, you know, we have these classes called Transformational Leadership that we do in different cities in America and different countries. Uh, we have a website called transformlead.com. Uh, if they want to go on there, they'll, they'll see a stuff. You know, we also do full-blown consulting, but if they want to just get a glimpse of this leadership material, 
uh, they can go on there and there's something on there called a bent schedule. Uh, John, the good news is we've all, we, we, we used to do these six days over six months, then we went to five days in a row, then three days in a row, and this year we're actually going to keep the three-day-in-a-row model, but we're also going to have some one-day events uh, so people can just get the material and then what to do with it after. So that's one way to go about it. Uh, we also have something on there called TL Every Day that people can sign up for. Uh, it's easier to really grasp that if they've been through the, the TL first. Uh, we've written a book called The Hike. Uh, the Hike is what I would call our plain glass version. Uh, we're in the process of trying to get the second book finished, called, which is our stained glass version, which actually has the, the biblical pieces. Uh, the Hike is written as a fiction. It's a story. Uh, if you know my story, you'll, you'll know the fiction. But it, we, we, we did it in a way, I don't mind people obviously knowing my story, but we're trying to do it in a way that, that we set people up in the second book to really turn to God, not to turn to me or our, our team, but to really be able to turn people to Jesus. And, and so those are a few things. We also have all of our training on MP3. We have it on DVD so we can, you know, there's ways to, to, to take it out after they go through the training. So that's just a few things there. And we have personal coaches also, just like you. I don't know if we have any as good as you, but we do have some. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm humbled. I'm a big fan of coaching, as you know. So Absolutely. I think it takes that. Well, thank you so much. I mean, coaching was a big part of, you know, how I've gotten to where I am. And, and, and just knowing people that have worked with you, uh, I can just share that uh, the results and everything that Ford talked about, as he shared, are, are real world. They're actual. They are transformative. And uh, I really hope people plug into what you're doing because the teaching is fantastic. And thank you so much for making the time uh, to share with us today. Well, thank you, John. And John, one other thing I... I Thank you for your involvement in Pinnacle Forum because that is a way that people can keep getting ongoing coaching in a group and, and be able to coach each other. So uh, keep, keep, keep doing that. that. That's a great program. Thank you. I loved Ford's vulnerability and everything he had to share. If you missed any of those links or that info that Ford just shared, just go to the show notes at eternalleadership.com. Check it there or look in the information slash description on this MP3. It's there. At the end, Ford mentioned Pinnacle Forum and both John and Ford are big supporters of them. The mission at Pinnacle is to build a network of leaders committed to personal and cultural transformation centered on the values of Jesus. We'll have more in the coming months, but in the meantime, if it sounds interesting, go to PinnacleForum.com to learn more. Next time on Eternal Leadership, author Judy Robinette. I've hated the word networking, frankly, because to me it was transactional, it was manipulative. Mm -hmm. You know, you go into a room and there's 500 people that run at you with a business card. And so the, the truth is you just focus on the other person. You get out of yourself, you find out what they're doing in life, and then you immediately figure out how to add value. And so that's exactly how I built such a um, strong, powerful network. And, and I can make literally almost anything happen. Hear how Judy transformed herself from a shy small town girl slash worker bee and into a real connector of people with a very impressive network that includes Hollywood stars and producers, billionaires, other world influencers through the principles in her book, How to Be a Power Connector, the 5 plus 50 plus 100 rule for turning your network, for turning your business network into profits. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening 
to eternal leadership.